Welcome back, everyone, this week to the Places Between. Wendy, tell us, who did you interview this week? I'm so excited for you guys to dive in and listen to the journey of LifeGate and the calling that was placed on Narup and his wife, Hannah's life. And he's a pastor. He's one of the best communicators I know. He's a dad of three. Fourth is on the way. (laughs) Excited to dive in. Awesome. Let's do it. When you find yourself between here and there, the now and the then, it can feel difficult to embrace life and all that it has to offer, especially when you feel like you haven't arrived yet. Wherever you're at, though, we want to help in that beautiful struggle of transitioning well through aspects of faith and life with The Places Between, a podcast all about transitions. Hi, I'm your host, Wendy. I'm a storyteller and a creative with a passion for adventure, fitness, and faith. What began as a love for travel, experiences, and community turned into helping clients around the country tell their own stories and inviting others to join them. I've always been passionate about people fully living. That means navigating those places between, opening up a safe space to have conversations and encouraging growth along the journey. So join me as we explore what it's like to transition well on the places between. Naru, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I think it's exciting. It's awesome. I love being a part of anything that you're doing. You're always creative and hustling. So I like it. It's great. Yes. Well, I feel the same about you. So I'm just honored to host you for a few minutes here. And for the handful of people that don't know the awesome work that you're up to, can you start with sharing a little bit just about who you are? What does the world see? And then maybe a few fun things that the world doesn't get to see on the world of social media. Yeah, so I am a husband of one, a father of three and one on the way, depending on when you when you air this. So soon to be four kids. And people ask me if I, um, I like kids. I do, but I like my wife even more. So we have four kids almost. <laughs> and um, I pastor a church, I pastor a really great church here on the southeast side of the city, not far from downtown, but an amazing location, sort of this merger of three distinct areas in our city. So I get to pastor here with an amazing team. Great church, what the Lord is building. And outside of that, I love preaching, teaching. I get to travel the world, travel the country, preaching and teaching. So I love that. And then something that people wouldn't know about me, I probably have a very avid shoe collection that I love. It's probably my one vice is my shoes. And a small known fact, I don't wear these shoes outside. I keep them in the box. And then when I want to wear them, I only wear them indoors. So I bring them indoors and I put them on. It's sort of odd, but that's I've been like that since high school. So I'm an avid shoe collector. And over COVID, I really got into cooking, cooking, grilling, all that. But I am, my personality is if I'm going to do something, I'm 100% in. And so I went all in, got professional chef's knives and sous vides and all kinds of stuff. So I'm fully into it. I love it. And I actually love cooking more than I love eating. So I love other watching other people eat what I've created, but I love it. It's, it's healing. It's spiritual for me to sit back and cook. I love that. How fun. So have you gotten to give Hannah a break in the kitchen, especially in the warmer weather? Oh yeah. Hannah, my wife would tell you that for her cooking is not her thing. She does not want to cook. She does not like to cook. So she's loved that I've picked up this hobby of cooking. And so she's saying, Hey, every night, 
if you want to, this is yours, you go for it. And so she loves it because I love experimenting with different stuff and finding all kinds of new recipes. So she is all about you go do your thing and the family will eat whatever you cook. Oh, that's amazing. Especially having three boys, you know, I'm sure they could eat a lot. (laughs) So what's your best COVID creation? I got really good with salmon, really, really good salmon. And then I would say I got, I would be willing to compete in a contest for barbecue ribs. I got really good at ribs. So I tell people I was confident about my ribs once I started inviting black people and they loved it. I was like, okay, (laughs) brothers love my ribs. It's got to be good. So I know it's good now. That's awesome. Well, and for those that are just listening to this podcast, um, you are not just a white boy from a white picket fence. No, no, I'm a very uh, brown boy from the other side of the world. So (laughs) it's been been really good. So how old were you when you relocated to the United States? Because you grew up in India, right? Yeah. So I was born in Singapore. We were in, in India. I was at a boarding school. So I grew up in boarding school. So you basically have to imagine I was in college by the age of six in terms of lifestyle. So my parents dropped us off. We were in school. We had dorm parent, you know, and then you go back home for the summer and you kind of go do the whole thing again. And so we were in dorms all the time. And so that was until through eighth grade. So first grade through eighth grade. And then we moved here at the start of high school. So I think I was turning 14 when we moved to the States. We moved to Chicago and then I was Chicago. I'm all things Chicago. Wow. Yes. I think I do remember that about the World Series in Chicago. One, that was a life-changing day, wasn't it? It was. I had a bottle of champagne I was saving for years for a special occasion. And the birth of three children, I was like, no, I don't think this is it. There's something special coming down the line. And the Cubs won the World Series and doused myself in champagne, me and all my friends. It was great. Oh, how fun. That's awesome. Now you have one brother, correct? One older brother who's also in ministry. So he's part of our church here. Amazing, crazy musician, writes and produces all that stuff. And then I have a younger sister who's really active in ministry and social work in Portland, Oregon. So, Oh, that's great. And then do your parents also still live in the Chicago area or where are they? No, my parents. So after high school, my parents did not appreciate the Chicago weather. They couldn't fully embrace the the negative 20 degree weather. So they actually moved to Portland. So they ended up in Portland. So they're Northwest. So I'm I'm trying to convince them to come out to Colorado. So we'll see. I think I'm close. I think I'm very close. Yes. Denver does... We have sunshine over 300 days a year. You can't compete with that. So I'm trying to tell them. So they're coming all the time. They love visiting because, you know, their grandkids live here. So I think the grandkids are what's convincing them to move out here. Yes. I've often heard you get through the parenting so that you can become a grandparent. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. you just spoil the kids, hype them up on sugar and send them back. Pretty much what my parents do. Just hype them up and then they give them right back to us. So it's great. Oh, so how old are your boys now? We have three. So our oldest is 10 and then six and four. So they're all in a good prime state. I love every stage of parenting. I think Mm -hmm. every stage presents, I don't think there's anything negative. I think they present their challenges and their opportunities, but I'm at the stage where my 10 year old and I are having great conversations about life and culture and the Bible and scripture and God. And my six year old is brand new conversations about things that he's passionate about. And we just get to hang out together. And then my four-year-old is just nonstop morning to the time he goes, he's only got two speeds asleep and just full throttle. And so our four-year-old is a, is probably this most strongest willed child I've ever met in my life. And so I don't like to use the word strong willed. I try to find positive spins on it. And so I say he is deeply convicted. We have a four-year-old who is deeply convicted about the way that he wants to live his life. So 
But I love it. I love every stage of parenting. I think it's fantastic. That's amazing. Well, even as your four-year-old and who he is now, I bet you can see things that he could become as an adult. And you need personalities like that because not everybody's wired that way. Exactly. They're all, that's the amazing thing about kids. You have different kids, same family, and they're so different. Their personalities are different. Their desires are different. So we're just praying, you know, my wife and I, we are, we fundamentally believe that our first primary discipleship kingdom role is to raise these three boys to love Jesus, be warriors after God, go after God's heart, be men of responsibility, learn how to love and honor the Lord, how to love and honor, protect women and care for people around them, and then be passionate about whatever the Lord puts in their path and go hard after it. So yeah, we just talk about every day. We're raising raising warriors. That's so great. I love that. Well, okay. So we're going to dive into talk a little bit more about Chicago and your transition into Denver or to Denver. Ironically, for those that are listening, Narup and I had the privilege of meeting Man, back in like 2014, I think I was working with this creative team on a modern day adaptation of the gospel. And there was this, for lack of a better description, please forgive me. There was this Indian guy that had swag. You should say that more often Then my wife will finally believe it. Well, and I don't know how you are at home. So there was this guy that came in and he was this narrator offering, you know, a biblical perspective of the gospel, but then all of the illustrations that we were using in this film were very, just very different than how you would read it from the Bible. So I remember having a conversation with you. I can't remember whether your hat was tilted sideways or just on backwards. And you were talking about how you were already in the midst of moving to Denver, you were working on it, and you were going to start a church. And the funny thing is being from Denver, I had seen other churches and how long it took to build those up. And I knew that you were up for a challenge, but I thought, if anything, this guy has a personality that could totally do it. And sure enough, within a few years, I just remember watching the beginning stages of LifeGate just blossom into this church that continues to house a diverse community and the stuff that LifeGate is doing today is such a cool thing of the city that I can't picture Denver without LifeGate. Oh, that's very cool. That's probably the best compliment I've heard in a very long time. So appreciate wow. that. Well, it's true. So let's talk about your journey to Denver, though. At the time you guys were living in, was it Chicago? My wife and I are both from Chicago. And then at that time, when we got married, my wife had a year left at school in Indiana. So we moved to Indiana. And I thought that would be nine months. And then and then we're out the door. We didn't even buy furniture. I told I was like, don't get comfortable. We're not living here. We're going back to Chicago. I love Chicago. And I thought wow. 100% the rest of my life, I'll be in Chicago to see the Lord do great stuff. I was connected to a lot of amazing churches out there. We moved to Indiana. And then very quickly, we saw that the Lord really was going to keep us there for a season. And I think it was a good season of preparation. And that's sort of always the way the Lord works. I think God is more often than not only going to show you just the first step to take. And then he begins to open up more. Because I think if he showed you the whole thing, it would just terrify you and you wouldn't do it. So are you willing to take one step of obedience? So we were in Indiana and then just trying to decide what city the Lord wanted us to go to to plant this church, this desire, and really more of a desire. It was a burden. It was almost this sense for me that if I don't plant a church, if I don't start a church or lead a church, that I personally would be walking in disobedience, that I had to do this. 
And I tried to bury it. I tried to pretend it didn't exist. I tried to, you know, like, Lord, I'm doing really, really good stuff over here. Are you sure you want it, want me to do this? And no matter what, I could not, I would say, seized with a vision of what God wanted me to do. Wow. And so Denver was one of five cities that became sort of our finalists, so to speak. And then I tried, I tried to go to Indianapolis. I really thought Indianapolis is the city we'll end up in because we're, we're from the Midwest. And I thought, okay, Indy is close to Chicago. It's close to Nashville, Detroit, Cincinnati, Cleveland. So it's kind of right there. Mm-hmm. And every single door. I mean, I was trying to fight to open anything and every door was just closing. And wow. then as soon as, as soon as we mentioned Denver, the Lord just started opening doors left and right. Now, none of it was easy, but it was obvious that this sure. is where we're supposed to go. And I think that's how sometimes the Lord calls us. It's obvious, but it's not easy. So here's the obvious road, take it. And so we moved to Denver in the fall, I think of 2014 and just hit the ground. And, and Denver was tough. You know, when we told people, we were moving to Denver. And so sort of church planting and ministry has its own kind of subculture, a part mm-hmm. of it. And so people know about different cities and Denver across the church planting culture is known as the city where churches go to die. So people say, hey, if you want to plant a church and see it fail, you should go to Denver. And that's where you get your experience of, okay, I've planted a church, it failed, then I'll go somewhere else and I'll plant something else. Wow. And, and I can tell you, when we moved here, I met 21 pastors who were planting a church either the year we were, the year before us, or the year after us. And of those 21, I think only two of them still remain. Like the rest of the 19 wow. are completely shut down. It's so hard here. And I had I had pastors telling us, friends, everyone saying, hey, don't go to Denver. Don't go to Denver. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard. But yeah. we really wanted to go to a place where people were far from God in a city that you know, is not known as a, a Christian city by any means. And so Denver is this progressive, young, millennial, Gen Z, highly educated, becoming more diverse. I, I wouldn't say Denver is diverse comparatively to Chicago or Orlando or New York or anything like that. But it, I think it's becoming more diverse, especially because the number of colleges that are out here and jobs that are moving to Colorado and just it's an amazing place to live. So we came out here and man, just prayed and hustled. And the Lord has been faithful. So I couldn't say that LifeGate is where it is because of anything I've done or we've done. I think God has grown this church and brought people here despite us and in spite of us. And how old is LifeGate? So we started six years ago. We, we started February of 2015. And the first Sunday we had 176 people. The second Sunday we had 186 people. And then the third Sunday, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a snowstorm. It was the worst snowstorm. Yes. in, I think, 20 or 30 years in Colorado. And so we went to zero. And that just crushed all of our momentum. And then we sort of methodically shrunk. We went from, you know, 170. We went, I mean, it was it was down in the, I think one Sunday we were in the low 60s or 50s or something like that. And I'm asking myself and talking to some of the people that moved out with us, you know, like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing here? Let's just go back and you have those moments. You always have those moments when the Lord is calling you to something and it's, it's not easy and it's difficult. And we just believed, and I just really believed that God was going to do something. And I was, you know, you can call it faithful or stubborn. I don't know what you want to call it, but I just knew that God was going to do something mm-hmm. if we stayed faithful, if we continued to do what he calls to do. And if we, and if we remain true to who we were and not try to be someone else, there's always a pressure 
when God's calling you to something to maybe just give in a little bit and compromise a little Mm -hmm. bit on who you are. Maybe if I become more like them or I do it more like this place over here, this organization there, this pastor here. And I was just relentless that we are going to, we're going to go out swinging. This is who we are. We're going to play this game our way. And the Lord has just been so faithful to grow the church, to quadruple, you know, the church is insanely bigger than Mm -hmm. it was before and deeper with more substance and more people. It's multi-ethnic, it's growing, it's multi-generational. And I would honestly say that I really don't think that's because I'm some leadership guru or that great of a preacher or, you know, anything that we've done. I just think we've been faithful to what the Lord's called us to do and God's hand has been on it. And I tell people all the time, God's unrelenting and mercy and favor have been on us. And God has decided to grow this and use us despite us and in spite of us, that God is really doing something special. So I'm just excited to be a part of it. And and every Sunday I show up and every week I look around and I think to myself, we're in this 50,000 square foot building that the Lord provided that we bought. And just to think a couple of years ago, our trailer is stolen. We own nothing. We have no money. We didn't raise enough. We have hardly any people. and, And what the Lord is doing now is incredible. Absolutely. Well, and that's one of the stories that I actually wanted to bring up was like, let's talk about miracles. Like, I think especially when you talk about the experience or the experiential God that we serve, he's such a God of details. And it's not about like checking off a list. It's literally like he sees something and then he interjects and he's in the fabric of every single day. And, you know, I just, I remember even just hearing about that happening, I think I was out of town at the time. I was spending a lot of time in California. And I remember hearing something about you need to pray now, LifeGate's trailer of music or just, was it all of your church items? Yeah. So this is a few weeks before Christmas, you know, which is sort of in the church world, a big deal in the Christian world, a big deal. Right. And so I'm on my way. I'm getting ready, actually. I'm getting ready this this Sunday morning. And Billy, at the time, who was overseeing all of our setup and teardown, calls me and says, hey, do you have the truck and trailer? No, I definitely don't. So I go over to where we parked it. And I mean, it is gone. Truck, trailer, everything. At this time, we're a portable church. And so we don't have anything anywhere else. Everything is in this trailer. The only thing that we had were the communion elements. They happened to be in my car. So we still took (laughs) communion that morning. But I mean, everything was gone, completely gone. And that was probably to me, one of the most amazing worship gatherings we had, maybe the most amazing worship Mm -hmm. gathering. We still met as a church and we had nothing. Like, hey, we have nothing guys, nothing at all. And we just met, we prayed and we sang, we shared stories and the Lord was so faithful. And so many people started coming to the church because they heard about that on the news. I mean, it was all over the news. They eventually Mm -hmm. found the truck and trailer in somewhere in Mexico. So I always said, if I ever see a LifeGate Tijuana, I'm going to be real suspicious, you know, where they got all their stuff from. But it was amazing. That was a miracle. And and I think the reason that it was a miracle is because the Lord was preparing our hearts along the way of who are we really. And on the one hand, we could look at it and say, well, we lost a lot of our stuff. On the other hand, I mean, two amazing things came out of this. Let's say three. One was the church grew, more people came. But the two more amazing things were the morning after that Sunday, my phone was blowing up with pastors all over the city saying, hey, what'd you lose? What do you need? And we were, I mean, I think the next, that week, we were driving around Denver, picking up checks for 50,000, 10,000, 20,000 from churches that were saying, hey, we want you to stay. We need you in the city. And so we're going to partner with you to get back all that you need. 
and just to see the local body of Christ, which often gets a bad rap that we're not for each other. And I think we have to do a better job of showing the city. No, we're for each other. We're all on the same team. We all love Jesus. We want to see all of our churches grow. And I think every pastor in this city wants to see every church grow. So that, that was an amazing secondary thing. And then we really began to once again discover who we are, that fundamentally we are a people of God called to worship and pray and love one another and seek the welfare of the city. And so that was amazing for us to experience all of that in what could be seen as a negative or terrible situation. Totally, totally. I loved getting to hear that there were churches that were uniting because I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, well, I go to church on this corner and you go to church on that corner and just actually seeing that like the church leaderships, the staff were like coming alongside and actually wanting to support LifeGate rather than, oh, their competition. Just to see people rally around LifeGate, that was a really special really special. It was was amazing. And I can say I've been in cities where churches are competing and Denver is not that way. I think every pastor in Denver sort of understands, man, there's enough lost people to go around. Mm -hmm. Like this mission field is expansive and no one church, no one preacher is going to take massive amounts of ground. We all have to work together and fight against the schemes of the devil. And we're going to do that if we stay united. And so, of course, we have all of our sort of individual visions and ideas of what we want to do. And I think that's, I think when the devil tries to divide, we can showcase our uniqueness with other churches, but then say, hey, I'm for these other churches. I want to see God move in them. I want to see them grow and see God use their spaces and use their people because we're all on the same mission together. And we tell our church all the time, like, listen, no one's wearing LifeGate shirts in heaven. You know, no one's wearing their church swag in heaven. We get to wear it now and it feels good and it's great, but we are all part of the body of Christ together. So find a church, commit to it, be covenanted there, serve there, give there, love there, but be reminded that we are not competing with other churches in our city. That's so good. I love that. So one of the things that I continue to say just from getting to experience LifeGate in the past, even throughout COVID or like once you guys started gathering again, the heartbeat of LifeGate, I really feel like is prayer. And I know you just mentioned worship and prayer, but I know that prayer is a really pivotal piece of LifeGate. Can we talk about why? Just, you know, for some people that are listening, potentially might not be far along in their faith, but I know that for me, prayer is not like a religious obligation. I know that for me, prayer is something that I pray because I'm desperate to see God get involved. Yes, it's amazing. And so prayer is important for us specifically and really embedded into who we are for a couple of reasons. So the story of LifeGate begins years ago. I'm 21 years old. I am in college and someone hands me this book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Sibler. And That's so I'm reading literally it. me too. That book 21. changed my life. Did you go to Biola? I went to Biola, but oh, so. not as I wanted to study film. I wasn't going to like have this biblical, like deep. I mean, I went to my ax class twice. Nice. <laughs> I was an accounting major. So I took like, two Bible classes. There were two books that were huge when I was in college, like huge, like everybody was reading them. One of them was, I think the, the prayer of Jabez, I think yeah. was everyone's reading. And then the other one was wild at heart. Everyone and their mom was reading captivating or wild at heart. Mm-hmm. And so if something is that popular, I tend not to want to read any of it. Mm-hmm. And so all that to say, my friend gives me this book on fresh wind, fresh fire. And I begin to read it. And that book completely changed my life. And I get to page 22 and on page 22, 
Jim Simbola says, I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without ever seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. And that just gripped my heart when I heard that. It gripped my heart and really began to see and sense how God begins a movement through prayer. And that whole, you know, the Brooklyn Tabernacle, I've never been to it, which in fact, a couple of weeks ago, I had a, an amazing African-American couple visit our church and that now they're here and they both got, they're from New York, got saved at, at Brooklyn Tabernacle, oh, moved to Denver nice. 15 years ago. And her words to me were, when I walked in here after church, I felt like I was at Brooklyn Tabernacle all over again. I was like, oh, bless your soul. That's, I love you know, that. that's, that's like the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. So it just was such confirmation. So I just was convinced that if God is going to move, it's going to, it's going to, he's going to move in power and, and, mm-hmm. and then when we came here, when you come to a city like Denver, Denver on the one hand is a beautiful city, like just beautiful city. It's aesthetically pleasing. There's different, I mean, you know, you love major sports. Denver has it. You want to be outdoors. Denver has it. You want to be more urban in the city. Denver has it. And I remember, I remember being here one day and I told my wife, I don't think I can live here. Like I'm not good looking enough to live in the city. Everyone here is just fit and athletic and good looking and everyone's happy. It's like the happiest atheist I've ever met in my life. But when you stand back, you can sense there is this sort of deep demonic oppression over the city and it's blinding people with anxiety. I don't think I've lived in a city where I have seen more people constantly anxious like crippling anxiety over and over and over again in the midst of very successful jobs, very successful bodies, you know, living out their single life or young married life and enjoying the outdoors and camping and sports and all these kind of things. And yet there's this incredibly high level of loneliness and despair and anxiety, this perpetual feeling of a lack of purpose. And so you could sense there is a demonic presence over this city that I believe the Lord is breaking now with so many churches and Christians on fire praying for the city. And there's a story in the scriptures, right, where a father has a son who is possessed with a demon and the disciples are doing everything they can do. I mean, they're, they are quoting scripture. They're calling politicians. They are calling the best influencers. They're throwing worship services. I mean, they're doing everything. And this kid is not getting released from the demon. Jesus shows up, releases this kid. And then the disciples say, why couldn't we do this? Why couldn't we cast this demon out? Their, their desire was there. And Jesus says, this can only be done with prayer and fasting. Yeah. There, there is such strong forces working against us. Why Paul reminds us that our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and principalities and the authorities of darkness. And so if we are not a people of prayer, believing that God will break chains and God will, will have miracles and God will move in the way he wants to move, that God will heal marriages, will give purpose to people, mm-hmm. that he will open blind eyes. Only that's going to happen is by prayer. Mm-hmm. And so not that we shouldn't pursue other opportunities. We shouldn't try to change laws. You know, we live in a country, God bless this country, because we live in a country where we can change bad laws. We're able to, and, and a lot of parts of the world, they can't do that. We can do that. But I think because we have so many external abilities to try to change things, we forget that first and foremost, we should be a people of prayer. And Jesus says, you know, he says to the church that, that he is not building a house of trade. He is building a house of prayer. And he could have said, anything. he could have said a house of preaching, a house of connection, a house of influence, a house of great worship. But he says, I'm, I'm building a house of prayer mm-hmm. and calling the nations to be a house of prayer. And so we really wow. believe from day one that we were meant to be a house of prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love that. I think it's interesting because when you view prayer as like your first option, not 
your second or third or last resort, but like your first option. I think prayer does this. It gives us the ability to, even if we can't travel overseas or be in a room somewhere, even across the city, knowing that like the Holy Spirit is going on our behalf and knowing that we can actually have our prayer closet or prayer meetings or whatever that looks like, knowing that we're still having an impact. I mean, what you said recently in a sermon about, I think it was actually somebody, let me see, I just wrote it down. Hold on. God loves me enough to save me, but God trusts me enough to use Use me. me. I thought that was so powerful. Yeah, the two most powerful truths of our life, right? Is that God loves me enough to save me. And then God says, hey, I trust you. I, I trust you with this money I'm giving you, with this job I'm giving you, with this car I'm giving you. And especially in our city, there's in our churches, is predominantly young singles. Mm-hmm. You know, so whenever, whenever someone tells me, oh, this generation's lost and blah, I'm like, you should come to church on Sunday because our church is on fire with young people, people in their, in their 20s and 30s and 40s who love Jesus and they're aiming to walk a life pleasing to God. And I tell them all the time, listen, don't waste your years of singleness. You might have five, you might have 20. I have no idea, but God has entrusted you with this season. So mm-hmm. use it for his purpose. Use it to advance his kingdom. And I'm trying to do that with everyone. I'm trying to awaken their imagination of what God can do in their life if they would just cry out to God and say, God, I'm available, I'm here, I'm ready. And and what I found in scripture is that God is willing to use anyone Mm -hmm. who makes themselves available and who makes themselves humble. You will humble yourself and you'll say, God, I'm available. And I think God will use you in in ways that you can't even imagine. Well, and that's what I was going to ask about, like those that are praying about, well, God use me, or I don't know what to do, or they haven't quite found their calling yet. Like how you would encourage them. I mean, I think that is a big thing of coming before the Lord with like hands open saying like, God use me. One of the best advices my dad ever gave me. So I'm graduating from college. I'm I'm getting out of Trinity. I'm I'm an accounting major. And I'm telling my dad, you know, dad, I I don't know what I want to do. And I think I was one of those people that sometimes I wished I was just great at one thing. I wish I was just good at drawing. And then I would know, okay, I have to draw. And I'm I'm just terrible at everything else. But I'm pretty good at a lot of different things, you know? And so I was telling my dad, like, dad, I would love to, I would love to write and I would love to travel and speak and I'd love to run businesses and I'd love to be an entrepreneur and I'd love to be part of this and do that and do missions. And there was a short stint where I wanted to be a stand-up comic and then one day be a talk show host. I'm like, I want to do all these different things. Totally. And I was telling my dad, my dad just gave me this practical advice. He just said, write down everything you want to do. Just write it down on a sheet of paper. So I go home and I, you know, I write down all these things I want to do. And I'm doing, I mean, realistic stuff, you know, like play for the NBA. Like that one was off the list. I realized I'm not going to play in the NBA. So I write down all these things that I want to do. And then I came back and my dad said, he gave me two pieces of advice. He said, number one, he said, what's your vision statement for your life? Write down your vision statement for your life. And then he said, what's the one thing you can do that'll let you do everything you want to do? And so I racked my brain and prayed and thought like, Lord, what really is it that you want me to do with my life? That's not career specific. You know, my vision was not, I'm going to be an accountant or I'm going to be a lawyer or whatever. Like, And so I came up with my vision statement, which was that I believe that God has called me to awaken the potential in every person and unleash them into kingdom play. Every person I meet, I'm trying to awaken their potential of what God can do in them and speak life into them and hope into them. And I'm talking from the waiter at a restaurant to the barista at Starbucks or wherever I go. And even in our church, I'm trying to awaken what can God do in your life and encourage them to 
to enter into the, the work of the kingdom, wherever they're at. And then I looked at that and my dad said, okay, great. Now what's the one thing you can do to let you do all of that? And for me, it was exiting full-time business world of being an entrepreneur and being in business and going full-time into pursuing ministry where I eventually would preach and lead. I started out in worship ministry and production and, and all that kind of stuff and then progressed into that. So for me, it was that. So practical advice, I would say, just write it out, write out, God, what is it I want to do? And I think sometimes people are so afraid to just be honest with God. Hmm. Like just be honest with God. Like, what do you want to do? My children have no problem telling me what they want. And I don't always give it to them. Like my four-year-old will wake me up at 2 a.m. because he wants candy. Yeah. No joke. The other night he wakes up because he wants star, Starburst at 2 a.m. Like, no, but, but he has no hesitation to tell me right. what he wants. Like, so I think I would encourage people, whoever's listening right now, whether you're a Christian mm-hmm. or not, just tell God, God, this is what I want. Just write it out mm-hmm. what you want. And then look at that list and ask yourself, with my life and my personality, with my Enneagram and my, you know, whatever, with my, with my family of origin, like write down a vision statement, write down your vision statement for your life and then mm-hmm. begin pursuing what's the one thing I could do where all of this could happen in God's timing. That's the key, right? God's going to unfold in his timing. And in fact, young ladies, if you're watching this, I tell every single guy in our church, if you don't have a vision for your life, don't even think about asking some poor girl to go on a date with you. Like mm-hmm. you better know what it is that God's called you to do in this life. And then young lady, same thing. Like what does God call you to do in this life? And then don't compromise on that. Hold fast to that, honor the Lord in it, and God will honor you. So that'd be my practical advice. And there is nothing, there is nothing like it on earth to know that you are living exactly where God wants you to be. Mm. You know, it's Amen. not always easy, it's not always fun, but there's nothing like it. Amen. I so can agree. Just all of that. It's God is such a good, good father. And I think that somewhere along, unfortunately, because humanity is broken, somewhere along the path of our our lives, we somewhere get mixed up with thinking that like God isn't really that good. And if we can actually admit that lie that it is and get rid of that so that we can walk in like knowing that we are a child, like a child of God and we have access to the King of Kings and He works all things together for good for those who love Him, you know, then being able to see what He has for you, it's like... Yeah our best days are always going to be before us, yeah. you know, as he calls us in deeper and deeper, but that was such a good, practical, tangible thing. So thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, my dad was the king of like doing stuff like that. I, I'd ask him a question and he would never give me a flat out answer. He'd always have some epic story. I'd have to figure out the meaning, you know, in the story and yeah. then he'd give me these tools, like these practices to do. And then I'd have to, you know, actually do it. He always wanted to make sure that I was yeah. doing whatever he was laying out for me and not just giving me the answer. And so I, I think my kids don't like it because I do that now with my kids too. So no, but that's so good. And that's intentionality on your part and, you know, his part, because he knew, you know, and I think God does that with us. If he just, like what you said earlier, if he just gave us all the answers or showed us the rest of our life, we'd be like so paralyzed that we wouldn't do it. So yeah, we kind of like gives us little pieces at a time. So, all right. Well, as we start to wrap up, a couple of final closing questions. I know that you and your beautiful wife are expecting a fourth. And I know this last season, just even getting to observe from a distance, it was a challenging one, but um, 
I loved how the church surrounded you. And if there's any words of wisdom or anything that you want to share with somebody that might be listening that is going through a hard time, you know, the season of COVID, that was enough challenges personally for everyone, and then add in all the other layers of things. So if somebody's listening right now, if you want to encourage them just in terms of like, hang on, don't give up. You know, we have these three very successful pregnancies. And by we, I mean, my wife's doing all the work, you know, so I'm just there, but my wife's doing all the work. And then child number four comes and we are excited. It's a girl. We have have three boys. And so we're excited. It's a girl. And then around week 17, it just ends in this very tragic and traumatic miscarriage. And so if anyone's been through that, it is horrific and it is painful and it is full of sorrow and suffering. You know, I could tell you in that moment, I had all the theological answers. So I know intellectually who God is and what God can do, but I'm genuinely, and my wife is genuinely feeling this, you know, God, where are you? And what are you doing? And, and, and this wouldn't have been that hard. I mean, you created the world. How hard would it have been to do this? And sort of what you mentioned before about these lies about God's goodness is starting to get questioned. Is God really good? And in those moments, I think what really allowed us to walk through it was our friends and the people of God that we are in community with. Mm. They're the ones reminding us of the goodness of God. And so they're coming over and they're just sitting with us and they're spending time with us and they're praying with us. And we had friends just impromptu, just meet us one night in our backyard, had 50, 60 people. And it was just a night of worship as we're going through this. And so Mm. I would encourage you that if you are in any season of loneliness or sorrow or suffering, first be reminded that God is present with you. And then God is in the journey with you. And God has not left you. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. God is present with you. And to know that wherever you are, that God is in the midst of doing something. Mm-hmm. You are in a, in the space in between. And in this place, God is doing something that he will not do in the next season. Mm-hmm. Also be reminded that as you're in the midst of this, it's just a reminder that this world is not how God wanted it to be. Yeah. And if you can find a way in community the enemy wants to get you alone. You know, the enemy wants to isolate you. He always wants to isolate you and draw you away from God and draw you away from community. But if you would just fight, fight with the Holy Spirit inside of you to stay connected in community, to be honest and vulnerable with with what you need in this season and praise and worship in the season of suffering, the praise you give God in suffering is the one kind of praise you cannot give him in eternity because there'll be no Mm -hmm. suffering in eternity but here you can give it to him now. And so give it to him now. Don't walk alone. The enemy wants to keep you alone. Don't walk alone. Be with people. Be surrounded by people. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Celebrate the little wins. If all you could do today was just get up and put on makeup and praise God, that's a win. If all you could do today was, you know, pray three words, you know, Jesus, I love you. And that's it. That's great. That's a win. So celebrate those little wins. God is working. God's on your behalf. And just make yourself available to people. You know, do not believe the lie that the enemy or that God has abandoned you and the people of God have abandoned you because you're not alone. And, and God will show you that if you would present yourself to him and to others, that God will bring amazing healing in your heart. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. Well, thank you so much just for your words of wisdom. And, you know, as challenging as your season was to go through, um, I'm with you and that I praise God for his faithfulness in your stories. And I don't discount any of the pain that you guys had to walk through. Um, Knowing that you were surrounded in that time by community is just like brings me joy. And, you know, there's this funny thing about this life here. It's like joy can coexist with sorrow. 
And I just, I think you're a living example of what that looks like. So thank you. I appreciate it. And um, okay. So as we wrap up, what place would you say that you are between or perhaps LifeGate is between and how can we be praying for you guys? That's a really good question. The place in between, I would say, you know, for me, the in-between place is always a place of God renewing your identity, constantly Mm -hmm. trying to get you to understand who you are in him. And because we are all the time, as soon as we discover an identity, we're so invested in it. And God's like, hey, this is not who you are. I'm going to draw you back to who you really are in me. And so I would, number one, I would say LifeGate is in this season of, we went from a church of 15 people meeting in a coffee shop to, you know, a thousand plus people right before COVID. And now, you know, it's exploding once more. And so constant prayer that we would never forget who we are, that we are fundamentally the people of God. We are living stones being built together as the people of God, Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. So I'd say just keep keep praying for us that we would never, we would never get too big for ourselves. We would never take ourselves too seriously. We're serious about Jesus and serious about the mission of Jesus and serious about people, but we would never take ourselves too seriously. That's number one. And then pray for me. I'm in a transition where the Lord is just opening up crazy doors, traveling and speaking and books and you know, all kinds of stuff. And so I'm really sort of wrestling with, okay, Lord, my first and foremost calling is to this body and this house. And I really want to pastor this church well. My plan is that I would be here until I'm 75 and they'll have to take me out kicking and screaming. You know, I'm going to be preaching till I'm 80 years old in here. And I want this to be the house that we're at forever. And also wrestling with, well, what do I do with these opportunities that the Lord is presenting? Sure. And so just pray for wisdom as I'm trying to make these decisions of, of what the Lord is putting before me. And I've just realized just because something is a good thing doesn't mean it's a God thing. So sure. trying to figure out that has been has been really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how awesome that you get those opportunities. And I know LifeGate body surrounding you, they all love you. So I'm sure they would want whatever is in God's plan and keep you some and have you go share your gift with others. You definitely have a gift of teaching God's word. So uh, thank you. Too kind. That is truly one of the things that I love. LifeGate Church in Denver, people, if you guys are listening, whether you live in Denver or you don't, tell us how we can find you. Yeah, the best way is Facebook and Instagram. And I'm honestly, if you meet me, I'm going to give you my phone number. That's just how I am. I'm not like this, you know, no one can have the pastor's phone number. I love giving people my phone number. So DM me. I'll write back. Facebook. I'm still on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter, not on TikTok. I decided I only have time for, you know, just enough things. So Narup Alphonse on Facebook, Narup Alphonse on Instagram. And then more than anything, just I'd love to meet you. I love meeting people. So if you're ever in Denver, stop by LifeGate, come say hi. Tell me you found the church through this podcast and you'll get a special discount for Wendy's favorite (laughs) place to go have lunch. You'll get a discount to go That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time, Naroop. Hang on for just one second. But for those listening, thanks for joining us on The Places Between and we'll catch you again soon. Appreciate it. Oh, I loved talking with Naroop. He is such a treat, just so wise. But I want to hear what you thought. I really loved, there were so many things I loved about it. First, shout out to one of our favorite books of all time, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Please, y'all read it. It's so good. It's so good. I also really related to him on the fact that if something's too popular, I'm probably not going to read it. But I loved when he talked about his father and how practical his father's advice was. So I like that he talked about like some of those practical things in life can help us 
take the next right step. And those can actually be God things. I think we really have to be in touch with the Holy Spirit in order to know when to like step out practically, like, and linearly and the next right step. And to know when the Holy Spirit is saying, okay, let's risk this. And when you talked about everything in seeming that Indiana was the right place to go logically, and then the Lord closing those doors and leading them somewhere very different where people were like, don't go there. Your church, churches die there. It's wild to think back a handful of years ago when they came to Denver to start. Mm-hmm. There were yeah. some families that followed them out here that were like, we're in this with you. We're surrounding you. There were families that quit their jobs to move out here with no work. Yeah. And just believed so strongly in the vision of starting a church in Denver, where, quote, churches go to die. And Mm -hmm. we look at LifeGate now, and it is thriving. Yeah, awesome. There was one other thing that I was just so blown away by, is when he talked about Denver being a place that's so aesthetically beautiful, Mm -hmm. right? And it is. Denver is so gorgeous. And you see so much of the beauty of God's creation there. And it really struck me when you talked about, I know so many people with great jobs and great careers and so much anxiety. And I just thought that was such an example of when we worship the creation and not the creator Mm -hmm. and that the creation itself can't fill us, but it's creation pointing us to a connection with the creator. Absolutely. I so loved having that conversation with Naroop. We hope you guys enjoyed every minute as well. and. We want to invite you guys to share this episode if it spoke to you. Uh, Like, subscribe, all the things. Thanks for joining us on The Places Between. I'm over here cheering you on, friend. You just finished another episode of The Places Between podcast. If you want to access more, be sure to subscribe or visit theplacesbetween.com to learn more about our guests, episode sponsors, upcoming retreats, and more. Like Stay in the Story, a 25-day devotional all about staying in your story while you wait on your dreams, on God, and on life to come to fruition. And lastly, if you're looking for an online community of people who also want to transition well, then come say hi over on Instagram at The Places Between. As always, thanks for taking time to dive into The Places Between. Until next time, keep enjoying that journey.